Well, good morning, church. You know, I was um, a little worried. My voice was a little scratchy at first, but then, you know, somebody said, were you yelling at the kids last night? Like, no, I didn't yell at the kids. Why would I yell at the kids? I mean, why would I, why would I even think of saying, hey, go get a job and buy your own candy? Now, why would I do something like that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, no. Um, I am thankful for uh, the opportunity we can come here and sing and open up God's word. And whether it's a scratchy voice or not, may God receive all the glory today. Amen. Hey, um, open up your Bibles. And when you're grabbing your Bibles, I'll tell you where, it's, where you're going to be heading here in a little bit. It's toward the end of the Bible. First John, if you want to get a head start. We started last week and titled a new series called It's a Wonderful Life, only because I couldn't think of a better title. Um, but I really wanted to focus over the next couple months on the joyful aspect, on, on something positive. I feel like... It's like, oh, tough times, rough times, challenging times. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but I wanted to really spend the next couple months understanding and acknowledging that, yes, we live in a messy world, a difficult and hurtful times world. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have received the free gift of salvation from God. We have received his mercy and his grace. As followers of Jesus Christ... We've been forgiven, and we are living in this new reconciled or reunited relationship with the God of this universe. And we have the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. And to me, that's something wonderful. And it's nothing to to take for granted. And God is basically reproducing himself in us. And that's just sort of strange, right? But he places within us his power and the character of God It's a process of spiritual growth that takes place. Last week we called this word sanctification. It's an ongoing process. We pursue God led by His Spirit. We experience this this wonderful life. And I think we need to pause every now and then and say, you know what? God is awesome, and His Spirit is at work, and it is wonderful. I get it. It's, It's tough out there. Right? But let's not forget who's in charge And it's all good. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 last week. We said this, For by that one offering, who is Jesus Christ, he forever made perfect, that's the justification, those who are being made holy, that was the sanctification. And as we read that verse, it reminds us that, that thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he gave us this right standing before God. So we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow and become more like him. Paul described it in his in many of his letters, but in his one letter in the book of Galatians, he experienced the life of the Spirit in us as being fruitful. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you look at those fruits, the work of the Holy Spirit, we sort of sit there and think, He has empowered us. He has equipped us. But yet God says, but you still need to engage and make some effort here. There's still a part that we have to be a part of. So last week we said, part of that is us abiding in Christ, 
staying connected to the true vine so that fruit can grow. We said, get into God's word, share God's word. And some of you were sharing it on social media. Some of you were emailing it out. Some of you were texting or calling people. And as you stay connected into God's word, as you stay connected to the vine, that fruit within us grows. The Holy Spirit within us works. And it makes sense, right? But as we start, I want to go week by week on this. So we're just going to talk about love today. That was one of the fruit, first fruits that's mentioned in Paul's letter here. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. But if I start talking about love, I have to think about where do I start with love? As soon as I say love, what comes to your mind? If there's 100 people in there, there's probably 100 different pictures, right? So let me start by saying this. Love is a complicated thing, okay? It's, it's like that. Does everybody have one of these junk drawers in their home? You open up and, I mean, you might have a butter knife in there, a screwdriver, a flashlight, matches, you might, a doll. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's whatever you laying around, it's like paper clip. Yep, it's in, it's in the junk drawer, right? Sort of everything falls in there. And here's the thing. I can talk, like last night, I can talk about how I love my wife and I love food and I love coffee and I love college football. And then I wake up in the morning and, and I come here and I sing about how I love God and how God loves me and I love how love God loves me. And, and then I get my car and I drive out of here, turn on the radio and there's a song about love. Maybe it's a song about loving somebody else or I love myself. In 24 hours, I'm going to see that love is very complicated as it covers all kinds of things. So I don't know if you sort of see the problem there because we've got a, a four-letter word that... Um, that has a thousand different uses. It's complicated. It's complicated. Here's the second thing about love. It's a necessary thing. When a child is born, the first thing that baby needs besides that breath of air is to be cuddled, to be held. It needs love. It needs to see its parents' face and recognize a face. When God created man, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. There needs to be relationship. He created a woman. In 1938, I thought this was pretty interesting. A group of researchers from Harvard University, they set out to answer the question of what habits lead to a fulfilling life. So they took 268 men and they spent the next 75 years studying these men on a range of tests, psychological, physical, economics, spiritual characteristics. They called it the Grant Study. It's the longest-running study of human development. Well, with the remaining participants now reaching their early 90s, the head of this decided we better wrap this up. We're getting a little old now. And so what they did, they brought a close. He published everything in this, this book called The Triumph of Experience. After the 75 years of research... Here's, here's what they learned with it. all the factors of education. It's important, right? Stable marriage, that was important. Healthy lifestyle choices, those were all helpful for a good life, a fulfilling life. But what the study concluded was what mattered most for a vibrant life was love. We're sort of talking about love this morning. If, you have, if I ever pause and I'm looking for one word, it might be love this morning, okay? Yeah, love, okay? It's the capacity to love and be loved from our human experience. That's what they discovered. He said this, the only thing that really matters in life is your relations to other people. Love is a necessary thing. 
So love is complicated. Love is necessary. Here's the third thing. Love is spiritual. If you go from Genesis to Revelation in your Bible, you're going to see love written all over it. The, the letter of basically a big love letter from God, how he wants to redeem his people. If you were to use, and I use different versions, uh, translations, Sunday mornings I preach out of the New Living Translation. I might read out of ESV, NIV, or other translations throughout the week, but I read from this on Sunday mornings. If I were to use the New Living Translation, you're going to find the word love, oops, 680 times. 680 times. So love is all throughout God's Word. Love is a spiritual thing. Fourth thing is this. Love is an emotional, an artistic thing. I mean, when you think about uh, music that you listen to, artwork that you look at, poems, poetry that you read, it's usually inspired by what? Love. Yeah, there was that opportunity for you again. Okay, stay on it, people. Stay on it. Okay. It's, uh, it's that we are inspired by love. When you think about this, you consider poetry. You know, very often, very few rare times will you hear anything but love. I mean, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm sorry, but I'll be more kind to you. No, that didn't fit, right? It's maybe not a poem about kindness or peace or just, it's usually love. Love is that driving force. Here's the last thing about love. It is a practical thing. It's, it's basically where love becomes physical and it puts on the hands and feet of Jesus. Love is hugging the lonely. Love is feeding the hungry, tending to those who are hurting. Maybe it's comforting the sick. Maybe it's even hanging out with those people who are annoying. That can be loving, right? Serving the needy. I mean, you sort of get the picture here. Love is practical. You see it put into action. So you can see, if I'm going to preach on love, where do, where do I start? Because it's that big junk drawer. <laughs> there's so many ways to define this love. So let's just do this. Let's just go right to the highest form of love there is. And that is God. God is love. Love is God. If you're in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4. We're starting verse 7. John, uh, the beloved author, disciple Jesus, takes time to help Christians understand our DNA. In his book, and then there's three letters written right next to each other all by him. He wants us to know, first of all, the truth. How do you know who a Christian is? First of all, they understand the truth. They can discern the truth. They have morals. And then they have love. And you'll read that through these letters. But we're going to focus on what he says about love in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. He says this, Dear friends, let's continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Here it is. For God is what? Love. Oh, that was much better. Yeah. See, God, God is love. We try to define it. John just simply says, you want know what love is? It's beyond being complicated or necessary or emotional or, or physical or practical. Or love is God. Period. Embodied. God is, it's like God says, I, I am love and, 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 and I, how, do I, how do I show you my love? How about I, I embody love? I put a coat over it, flesh over it, and come to earth and show you love. Look what it says in verse 9. In this, the love of God 
And actually, I'm going to read the NLT. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. Now, the ESV translation says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Basically, God says, I'm going to put on flesh and I want you to see what love looks like. So he made himself manifest among us. He made love invisible, visible in front of us so we could see what that love looked like. God first loved us. And to me, that is amazing because typically we've got to earn love. Usually we do something and somebody's like, oh, now I love you. You know, think about the fact that God loved you before you did anything. Do you, do you deserve his love? Are you worthy enough to receive love from God? Think about your life. Think about the decisions and choices you've made in your life. Do you really think you deserve God's love? Tell me how you're entitled to it, please. And God says, I'm not waiting for the answer. I'm just going to love you. Before you can do anything, I'm going to love you. Which is so weird. Because today when you're watching a movie or a show or, or you hear a story or in real life, typically what happens is somebody does something nice for you and it catches your attention. And all of a sudden you're like, well, that was nice. And then you sort of got eyes on them. And it's like, well, I'm going to treat them nice. You know, it's like, I'm now going to love them. Why? Because, well, they did something that was nice. They did something that was loving. And so now I feel like I need to reciprocate that love and I'm going to love them back. That never happens with us and God. God is not waiting for us to do something. He just loves us, period. When we acknowledge that love, when we receive that love, we place our trust in this loving God. It changes us from the inside out. Look what it goes on to say in verse 13. Verse 13 says, and God, I'm sorry, let's move back. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. As you read that again, think about what that love feels like to be loved when you don't deserve it, when I don't deserve it. He goes on to say, and God has given us this spirit. Did I skip a verse for you all? I'm sorry, I did. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Now, this is sort of challenging because God's wrapped in love. Love is in the flesh. Steps into a messy world. Take away our sins, right? That's love. And then he says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we ought to love each other. It's like, let me show you love. And then let me tell you what to do with this love. I want you to love each other. No one's ever seen God. But Scripture goes on to say, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought, brought to full expression in us. Did you think about that? God lives in you? Because again, here's God who is what? Love. Comes to earth in the flesh. He is love in the flesh. And then His Spirit resides in us. So now we have that love in us. And we're supposed to share that love. Look at verse 13. Now we'll get to verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Pause. Let that sink in. All who declare, church, is this you? All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have what? God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. When I read through this, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed because, yes, love is complicated. Love is necessary. Love is spiritual. Love is emotional. Love is in action. But when I'm looking at this, I'm seeing love is what? It's just so selfless. It's sacrificial. See, true love defined, the highest form of love defined is God. And God says, I love you so much. I'm going to love you. You don't have to do anything. You can be evil, diabolical, rude. I love you. And I will wrap myself in flesh and come down to this earth, die on the cross, be sacrificed. I will give up myself, my love for you. You didn't have to do anything. And if you place your trust in my son, Jesus Christ, if you believe that, then I'll give you my spirit. My spirit is love. And my spirit now resides in you. Church, we have God's spirit in us. We have that love in us at its highest form. In us. Goes on to say, verse 16. And God is love. All who live in love, live in God. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more Perfect. That's the sanctification part again. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. We can face him with the confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, the Greek word for love in this particular kind of love, anytime you hear about love of God, for God so loved the world, the word that's going to usually be used is agape. Agape is unconditional. It's divine. It's sacrificial. It's the power to move us toward another person with no expectation of reward. I'm going to love you. Don't expect anything in return. Unconditional. No, no strings attached. I love you. You don't have to love me back. That's agape love. It's compared to other Greek words like phileo, which is like a brotherly love, or eros, which is erotic, uh, intimate love, a spontaneous love. Those words are never used in describing God. It's always agape, the highest form. And when in our life, when we think about this, sin makes us pretty unlovable at times. It's ugly, makes us unpleasant, obnoxious before God. And yet God says, I got agape love for you. <laughs> I know you can be unlovable and obnoxious at times. I know you won't listen to me at times, but I still love you. Agape love, highest form of love, expressed to us, given to us. You follow me, church? So I look at this, what this love is, but here's the thing. It's not just like a noun. It's not just something we have. It's something we do. Love is also a command. Jesus could have shown a lot of disgust and disappointment with his disciples throughout his years with him. But there's one moment when he could have really been mad at his disciples. It was in his last hours. They'd gone to the upper room. It was time for the Passover meal. As they're going into the room, the disciples are talking about who's the greatest, who's the MVP. You know, hey, I think I'm a better disciple than you. Sort of arguing. There's, there's no humbleness going on there. A lot of pride. And Jesus walks in with them, and they're going to have this last meal together. They don't know it. He knows it. Nobody washes their feet. There's no servant there. They all sit down. Jesus gets up, takes off his robe, goes over, grabs the servant's towel and basin of water, and he washes their feet. The master, Jesus, is not supposed to do it. 
because he's God in the flesh. But that's love. Love takes the role of the servant and says, you're going to run out on me. You're going to desert me. You're going to betray me. You are going to deny me. But I will wash these feet that are going to run tonight because I love you. That's the love of God. We don't know how that love works, but that's the love of God. And immediately after he got done doing all of that with his disciples, he looks at his disciples and he says this in John chapter 13. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Wait, 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 time out. This is Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love one another, right? So that love God, love others is all Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. Like, whoa, new command? He says this, I want you to love each other. Here's where the new part comes in. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus says, I want you to love each other, but here's how. I want you to do it the way I did it to you. This agape love. Just as I've loved you, I want you to love others. Oh, by the way, you don't need to wear a Christian t-shirt. You don't need to carry around about. You don't need to take a selfie of yourself at church saying, I went to church today. You want to know how people know you're a Christian? By the way, you love them as Jesus loved them. When speaking about Jesus being divine, and we're the branches, and we're to abide and, and stay connected to him, this is just a couple chapters later. They're, they had their feet washed. Jesus says, love me in a, or love one another in a new way just as I've loved you. And then he goes on and gives them some more teachings. And then he says this. He goes, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. It's like he repeats himself. Like, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it another time. And as we began this church almost 13, 14 years ago, the, vi- the vision was this. When it was approached to me, like, Starting a church, like, no thanks. But we prayed about it. And then this verse came. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. This is, this is where our church started with this verse, with this vision. And it was very simple. On Sunday, all I want to do is worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I just want to sing to Him. I want to worship. I want to open up His Word. I want to pray. That's all I want to do on Sunday church. I don't want to be entertained. I don't want to do something crazy. I just, I just want to worship God. The rest of the week, I want to be the church. I want to go love others. That's how this church started. The question is, this is how we started. How are we doing? See, we're still striving. Our our phrase, love God, love others, be the church. That's not an ending point where we're at now. That's what we're pursuing. This church is pursuing that kind of life. We want to be the church. We want to love God. We want to love others. We're on this journey of doing this. Do we get it right 100% of the time? Unfortunately, no. Do we, do we fail at times? Unfortunately, yes. We do. We, we, we don't always love God. We don't always love others. But we are striving to fulfill that command of Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is what we're chasing after. And here's, here's a caution I need to make. Because, because that is in our name, oh, love God, love others. That's true north. Because that's in our name, sometimes 
people will trip up over that phrase and say, oh, true north, are you guys really loving others? And, and I get worried about that because here's a command, and sometimes we take commands out of context, or we don't fully understand a command, or we don't understand certain scripture. And I, I get this. I have to give this, this caution regarding how scripture is used because I have probably, in my many years of ministry, I have probably taken scripture out of context or misused a verse, and I come back later and I'm thinking, wow, I, 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 I misused that verse. Or that was taken, like, I need to know the background of this. As a teacher, as a preacher, I'm held more accountable to God's word than you. I need to be on my game. I need to make sure I'm studying. I need to make sure I know what's going on. I need to be able, and as all Christians are, we're all supposed to be able to study the word and discern what is true. That's a responsibility for all of us. As one who gets in front of you, I need to make sure as I'm held accountable that I cautiously preach God's word in the correct way. I don't want to misrepresent. I want to misuse the word of God. And, and here's what has happened as, as well. And I hope and pray I've never done this. If I have, I want, to, I want to say I'm sorry right now. But we must never take God's word and weaponize it. And what I mean by weaponizing God's word is this. God's word is called what? The sword of the spirit, right? And we know that God's word is used in multiple ways. Jesus used God's word when he faced the devil. He was tempted three times, and every time he says, you know what the scriptures say, you know what the scriptures say, you know what the scriptures say. It's like Jesus pulled out the sword and he just wielded it against his enemy. It is never to be used against Christians, against Christians. We should not be taking God's word and saying, I'm going to take the Bible and slam you with it. That's weaponizing God's word. Instead, what, is, what are we supposed to do with God's word? God's word in 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed and is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do is right. God's word teaches us. God's word corrects us. It rebukes us. It reproves us when we, it sort of exposes our rebellion. We use God's word to train each other in righteousness. We use God's word to, to help each other. We don't use God's word to knock each other down. And so we must be careful with that. Do we use it correctly? And what I mean by that is, I've discovered over the past few years, there's been times when somebody's come to me and said, I thought True North loved others. You love God, you love others. I don't think you love others. I was like, what do you mean by that? All of a sudden, they're taking God's word and they're weaponizing and attacking me, saying, we don't love others. And I, I sort of sit back and I'm trying to figure out what they meant by that. Because here's the problem. If we are not loving others, then we're hypocrites, right? I do not want to be a hypocrite. I want to love God. I want to love others. I'm pursuing that. If I'm not loving others, please, please show me where. And I've discovered, you know, in, in their eyes, I'm not maybe loving others in the way they think I should love others. See, it's not about the question of loving others. It's the definition of love. Their definition of love might be different than my definition of love. I grew up on a farm. If we had, a, if we had an animal that was sick and dying, you know what we did on the farm? We showed love to that animal. We put it out of its misery. Today, somebody says, well, if I've got an animal that's dying and sick, I'm going to take it to the vet and I might spend a couple thousand dollars on it because I love it. Do you see the two different definitions of how we love these animals? And so what happens often in time is, this is what I think love looks like, and I'm going to toss it your way. 
When I hear people say we're to love others, and then they're telling me that I'm not loving others by a decision maybe that I made, here's the first thing I need to do, church. I need to ask myself the intention of my heart. Not the person that's, that's pulled this out on me. I gotta go to my own heart and say, God, have I not been loving others? Show me if, I, if there's a place where I'm not showing love to others. Am I, am I being an unloving person? So I've got to ask that question. Then I examine the action deemed by that person as not loving and say, is that action truly not loving? Or, is it, or in their eyes, is it not loving? And again, I, I don't want to misinterpret this command, we are to love one another, but our defining of love may look different for one person than another. Let me give you another example. If I said right now, pull out a piece of paper and a pen, draw me a picture of a pumpkin with a face on and everything, and everybody draws their pumpkin, right? And I say, okay, hold up. Let's see if anybody looks alike. Probably not. If I had 100 drawings, I'd probably have 100 different pumpkin faces, right? But I asked for a pumpkin. You just gave me 100 different pumpkins. So when I say this is what love might be, your love might look different than my love. You following me, church? Is this making sense? One more example. Do we all agree that getting rest is good for us? I think we'd all agree. We need all we need all need rest, right? We all should get our rest. So if I came to you and I said, you know what? You need to go to bed at 9 p.m. on the dot so that you get your rest, so that you... Um, are productive tomorrow, and so that you aren't grouchy around other people. Now, I'm full, you know, you might be in full agreement with me, and you might say, I agree, I, we need rest. But 9 o'clock, that's not happening for me. I might go to bed 10, 11. But I will get my rest so that I am still productive and so that I'm not grouchy with people, right? So here's the thing. Because you're not going to go to bed at my 9 o'clock time, does that now mean you're not loving others? Hmm. You follow me, church? See, the love being defined by other people can be questionable. I agree with you. We are to what? Love one another, right? Now, how we love one another might look different. So the question is, how do we run with this with the Bible when, is, when we're sitting here and looking at this command? It says, we're to love. God loves us. We are embodied, his, his, his embodiment of love is coming in Jesus. His spirit of love is now living in us. I have that agape love in me. I am to love others. But how do I do that without upsetting somebody? Or not upsetting somebody? Having received salvation by faith, I stand justified before God. And he imparts into me what? His Holy Spirit. Which means that my love to others is going to be directed by God's Spirit. I think it's important that we understand this. I'm supposed to love others. How am I supposed to love others? God, show me how I am to love others. God, is this what you want me to do in showing love to others? When I send out my weekly email to all of you and it says, here's how to love others, here's how to love others. That's not for everybody. Some of you are not good note senders. You're like, I have no idea how to send somebody a note. But Rex said to love others, we should send notes. No, that's just a suggestion. Some of you are better plumbers or better handymen. You can show your love to another person by going over and fixing their kitchen sink, right? Whereas me, you don't want me to show you that kind of love, okay? I might clog your kitchen sink. 
But maybe I can write you a nice note, but you're like, I can't write a note. Exactly. I'm showing you multiple ways in which you can love one another. The question is, are you listening to God's Spirit to lead you in how to love one another? Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this, And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with His love. He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of what? Power, love, and self-discipline or sound mind. Again, through the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, love is cultivated over time in us, church. It's something given to us, something growing in us, and we must pursue it. We must chase after it. And it's like, I, I want to know how to love others. Ask God how. You'll find examples throughout Scripture. But be careful not to weaponize Scripture and say, this is how you do it, and if you don't do it, you're not loving others. Unless you've got the finger of the Holy Spirit, be careful what you're pointing at. When I'm thinking about this, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, have you ever read through that 1 Corinthians 13? It's called the love chapter. Love is kind, love is patient, love is so forth and so on. You know, you can substitute the word God in there. If you read through 1 Corinthians 13, and you're going to get to the very last verse, verse 13, it says this. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? Oh, you're good. Yes. Love. Now, back in biblical times when they were writing this, and even for a few hundred years, they didn't have chapters and verses. It was just like the letter. Okay? So everything ran together. We put things into chapters and verses. You know what chapter 14, verse 1 says? It says, let love be your highest goal. So often we stop at 13, and chapter 14, verse 1 says, hey, let love be your highest goal. Let that be your pursuit. You chasing after anything right now? We all set goals. We're all goal makers, right? Leaders are goal makers. We set goals. Let love be your highest goal. This amazing love of God's given to us. It must be pursued. The question is how? How? We come back to that word again, how? How do I love others? How do I love God? It's abiding in his word again. It's going back to meditating on God's word, his scripture, spending time in prayer. You want to, you want to know where to start? Start with the first question. How could the God of this universe love me? Let that sink in. That he would send Jesus to the cross for me. Pray for God's love just to saturate you. Make that your prayer. God, help me to be more loving. God, help me to experience your love. God, help me to know how to love others. A great verse, scripture, and I would say, I would encourage you, write this one down. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. It's not going to be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 19. Paul says this. I love this. This is what Paul says. He says, I want you to pray for love. He goes, I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his heart in your home as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand it, as all God's people should understand, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience that love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power 
that comes from God. Pray for God to show you how to love. It's tough, isn't it? I'm, I, sometimes people can just be unlovable. They can be mean. They can be rude. And it's like, how do I love those kind of people? I mean, does Scripture help? I mean, well, we know Jesus said you're supposed to love your enemies. It's just Jesus skips over the annoying people and just goes right to the enemy. So here's the thing. You want to know how to love those that are maybe are hard to love? Just figure out how he loved those that he called enemies. He said that we are supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to bless them. We're supposed to do good to them. Wow. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do good to them. And for some of us, like, uh, how do you do that? Because I've been cheated or I've been abandoned. I've been hurt. I've been abused. And I'm supposed to do what again to that person? Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. Now, Dr. David Jeremiah says this. Here's where we've got to be kind to ourselves. And be very clear about what God is asking us to do. We're not told to abandon our feelings for what happened. We're told to bless and pray that God would do his work in the lives of our enemies. We're not asked to expose ourselves to them so that more harm comes our way. We're just to bless them, pray them, and do good to them. Jesus dying on the cross, perfect example. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as they crucified him. Stephen, who's getting rocks thrown at him, pelted at him. He's being stoned. What did he do? He prayed for those that were being, that were throwing the stones at him. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I think, church, we'd all agree what this world needs is what? More love. Absolutely. So the question is, what are we waiting for? See, there, here, there is a universal need and it is love. And there is a universal solution. And it is. So here it is. We've got the universal need. We've got the universal solution. And it is love. And it is the source of love is who? God, right? So it begins with accepting and believing this truth. That God would love me despite my wrongdoings, besides my mistakes. God would love me. It begins there. And then it, begin, then it steps into the, I want that love. God, forgive me. Come into my heart. And God forgives us. And his love, his spirit embodies us and now enables us to love one another. Because on our own power, we just can't. We just can't. You don't have to understand how God loves you. He just does. And then he points us to love others. Would you stand, please? Living for Jesus truly is a wonderful life. It really is, church. I want, I want to encourage you as, as we're continuing this series to think about, God, I want to stay connected to you. I want to abide in you because I want this produced in me. I want to be more loving. And I'm not, maybe not by what you define love as or you define love, but by God, what do you define love? God, what does your spirit say and how to love others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. For this church, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you, Lord, that we can come here and sort of like, this is what love is about. None of us are perfect in expressing love. We've all, we've all made mistakes in trying to love others. We don't know how to love others. So God, through your spirit that resides in us, the source of love, show us how to love. 
And where we've fallen short in loving others, God, forgive us. And God, where we discover where you want us to love more, empower us. God, may we, may we know how wide, how deep, how high your love is. Lord, help our, our roots to grow down deep. And may love grow through us and produce a love in which the world will step back and say, I know they're a Christian by their love. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Help us to continue to seek you and be in more loving. Help us to pursue love as our highest goal. And help us to display that goal for the world to see. In thy name we pray. Amen.